0: welcome all who are listening or watching
1: we We are are conversations of color.
0: color Welcome, everyone. This is Conversations of Color. This week, uh, our topic is focused on wellness of education. And we actually have two great guests, both doctors, doctors, doctors. So we have Dr. Edmund Ajapong and Dr. Nalon Reed. And um, uh, uh, Edmund, can you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, what's going on, y'all? Uh, my name is Dr. Edmund Ajapong. I'm a professor at Seton Hall University. Um, author of a uh, hip hop ed edited volume series um, that explores the intersection of hip hop and education. Um, just engaging in research um, in urban communities and contexts around uh, just innovative pedagogies and how can we inspire, engage, motivate young people to see their full potential. So that's you know a little snapshot of the work that I do.
3: What's up, everybody? I'm Nalan. I'm also very happy to be here. It sounds like a, like a great topic, and they're gonna go through um, a lot of interesting things. I a Professor at New Jersey Institute of Technology. Um, I do a lot of cancer studies, um, particularly with in metabolism, uh, originally from Brooklyn. Uh, now I'm here in New Jersey, right, right up the block. So um enjoying enjoying the time that I have right now. So um, I have a wife, two kids. Um, my daughter's actually turning two on Tuesday and I have another son that's uh, three years old. So really busy time. Hopefully they stay quiet as we
0: that feel good. <laughs> uh, no thanks and um we're, we're, we are all really here t- i glad to to have you both on and excited for the for our conversation today but before we kind of jump into the conversation um we got a uh what we like to do is kind of a wellness check-in so it's our aggie and lit mm-hmm. campaign so basically yeah. um we we, <laughs> we want to know what got you lit this week you know what you was excited about um, what you enjoyed and what got you aggie you know something I got you upset you turned off co-worker did some some bull you know
3: uh what got me <laughs> I guess like I said my, my daughter's birthday's coming up so just reminiscing about the times and enjoying you know them being young even though they're like jumping all over me and pretty annoying most of the time but just enjoying fatherhood and remember like what it's like to be a kid and I'm, I was very energetic too so just, just happy that you know I have a good healthy um, and happy family uh, I guess that what got me lit, and then um, Aggie, I guess, say um, the Super Bowl. I'm not really happy about Brady beating the Super Bowl. I don't know how they let them back. Like, I, how did they let Tom Brady back <laughs> in the Super Bowl? That's I don't understand that. Goat. He's like, a the goat. The guy goes to another team and goes like <laughs> he's a goat. I'm like, I can't believe all week we talking about Tom Brady back in the Super Bowl. He better lose. <laughs> that's
2: really gonna get me aggy. <laughs> yeah, um, for me, I guess um, what's the lit? I guess I'm just alive. I'm just happy to be in this space and just reflect on the current context, you know, that you know, in the current pandemic, I have a job, you know, um not much has changed for me. And that's very right, you know, I speaking from a, a space a, a space and place of privilege. So I'm just I'm, I'm appreciative of that. I wanna acknowledge that. Um, I guess what gets me aggy is just like the weekend emails, you know, like, yo, we working all day during the <laughs> weekend, like schedule that for Monday morning. You know what I mean? I don't need to see the email on, on, on during the weekend, but that just reminds me that I got better at like, you know, just, you know, I used to like delete my, I used to delete my mailbox on my phone on, on the weekends and just being more thoughtful about just how we are taking care of ourselves in, in a, in a capitalist society that. It's always going to keep pushing and always going to demand more from you, but we got to, like, take care of ourselves um, first and foremost. So That's, you know, turn that Aggie into a little lit, lit situation where just, like, just focus on yourself, yo.
0: Hey, no, I, I feel you both on that. Um, Jazz, do you want to share uh, what's what's got you lit, Aggie, this
4: week? Uh, what got me lit this week? Um, I'm just lit. That, like they said, I'm here. I'm happy I'm here. What got me, Aggie? Um, I definitely have to do a lot more work after we done recording <laughs> for work tomorrow, but it's got to get done either way. But I'm going to try to find some time in between that to have some wings, maybe a drink for the Super Bowl. But otherwise than that, I'm OK.
0: Well, I, I hope you're getting that O T O T, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, do you want to uh, share what got you uh, lit and Aggie this week?
5: Yeah, I got I got a couple of reasons to be lit today. So first off, I'm just hyped that I got somebody in the uh, conversation that's also from Brooklyn. I feel like lately people just been holding <laughs> it down. And so I'm just happy to be in the company of
3: people
5: <laughs> So that's definitely that. Also, uh, just coming off a really great week, uh, you know, got a chance to kind of execute A project that, you know, literally was just an idea, uh, you know, for the students that we work with and really just kind of is going to uh, the the program that we created was going to serve them, you know, for from now until they graduate. So we're really excited about that. Uh, What got me? What got me? Aggie. I mean, like I've been running this, uh, this this year. I know it's been cold, but it's been some days warm enough to run but the snow, yo, the snow is relentless.
3: <laughs>
5: it's like, I'm really happy to see it because it's, you know, we haven't had snow in a while. And I went to Prospect Park and to the farmer's market. And I seen like kids, you know, throwing snowballs, sledding down hills. I'm like, this is dope, but it's really no way to run. Uh, Cause you
1: know, <laughs> at
5: least in my part of Brooklyn, East New York, they're not paving the streets. You know, you got to, the car, if the cars are not running mm-hmm. up in the snow. There's nothing going on. So that's what got me aggy. But, you know with yeah, that yeah. email <laughs> so jazz what's going on with you what is it, Ray?
1: um what got <laughs> me honestly i can't complain living in southern california i'll be real with you guys there's no <laughs> snow here so the weather's pretty lit it was like 70 degrees the other day um that was beautiful and then what got me aggie honestly it's sunday i'm a little tired today and Uh, But I'm excited. I'm excited about the Super Bowl and being able to rest and, and enjoy that as well. So yeah, that's pretty much it for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um for me, I guess what's what's lit for me this week is definitely the weather. I love watching to see that you know on the east side is just the snow keep on pouring down. Yeah, just, I just, keep, I just,
3: just gotta, talking about the weather today, huh? Like, yeah, this just gonna, gonna,
0: just it gonna it rub it in, just gonna rub <laughs> it in, put it on. Uh definitely, you know, enjoying the beach again uh yesterday. So definitely enjoyed that. And then I guess what got me Aggie this week is just um Just just work in general is is just chaotic. You know, it's um, my team really poor at communication. So we're just all all over the place trying to meet these deadlines. So (laughs) it's a it's a handful. Um, But yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to keep pushing through. Yeah. Yeah. So no, thank you. You know,
3: it's crazy. When I was when I was when I was a senior in high school, I wanted to go to I wanted to go to school upstate like Syracuse, one of those schools. But then it snowed crazy that year, just like I was snowing right now. Like, it kept snowing when I was a teen. I'm like, I'm getting out of New York. I-, I-, I applied to all Florida schools at first. Like, I only applied to one other school outside of Florida, which was Hampton. So my mom was like, you know, that's closest. So can you please go to Hampton? I'm like, all right, whatever. But I was done. Like, I was done with the snow, done with the cold. I hated it. I don't know how y'all did it because y'all was, like, in Canada, right? No Basically. The-, the snow builds resilience, you Yeah. I guess so. You got it, though. You got it. you strong, bro. You're strong. Greg Greg you better than me. You
5: never, you never felt cold until you walked outside to negative 20 degrees, bro. Yo. <laughs> bro. Like nah. this
0: shivering. Your nose here is getting frozen. It was different. It was different. It was different. Sure. Amen. Nah, and uh, thank you all for sharing. Definitely uh, appreciate that. And, um, what I uh, wanted to ask you both was um, what does education kind of mean to, to you both and, and your perspective on, on education as a kid, you know, how, how did you kind of view it? What was, how did you enjoy it? What, what's your thoughts on that?
3: I mean, I'll let you go first.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I think that, I, I mean, obviously
2: anybody can answer this question differently. Right. And I think about depending on your culture and your values is how you see education. Right. So for me personally, I'm the child of two Ghanaian immigrants, right? So my parents migrated from Ghana, West Africa, with the idea of like I'm coming to this country for a better future for my fam, for my for their future family. So they had three dope kids, and I'm the dopest of the three. And you know, to my parents who weren't educated here, they thought that they thought that education was the end. The, you know, it was like the the end all, right? If you don't get an education, you ain't gonna be nothing. But they, they did recognize that education is obviously necessary to navigate. And move within our our society's structures right um but as a kid i never saw the importance or value of education right my parents were telling me it was important but when i went to schools myself i didn't feel the importance right i didn't feel like teachers were teaching to me i didn't feel like i was able to be myself i didn't feel like i was able to be authentic right um there was just no connection to myself in schools and contact right so at home i'm getting the signaling the messaging that school is very important and education is very important, but when I go to school, I'm like, I don't see that. I don't feel that, right? So there was, like, a really big disconnect between me and schools um until I got to high school. When I got to high school, I met one of my mentors who used hip-hop um in the classroom. And that's kind of like, you know, it-, it sparked me in a sense. But it's, it, it wasn't like, oh, shit, he's using hip-hop. we just rapping and tap dancing in class, right? I-, I think at first it was like, I was like, I was... I was cautious, I was cautiously cautiously optimistic around the teacher's use of hip hop because I've been in schools for like, this is high school, so maybe nine, 10 years up to this point, I've never seen my my culture or myself reflected in, 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 the, in the schools or in the curriculum. So like I gave the teacher a really hard time, but over time I realized, you know, he had the best intentions and he also like really just wanted to connect um, things that the students liked and enjoyed and engaged in outside of school with school. And it was, that was like really weird for me because I never, it's like, you know, it's like being in an abusive relationship all your life and then somebody trying to come around and love you, right? You may not know what love, What you have, to, you have to make sense of what love is again, right? So that to me, I had to like really make sense of what schooling and education meant for me. Um, I think that really helped me reframe it, right? Like education, education is a tool, right? And it could be used as a tool for opportunity, but it can only be used for a tool for opportunity that's equitable if we can teach all students the way that they want and need to be taught, right? So like, I think education systems are, are inherently oppressive, right? I think the education systems are inequitable. Um, you know, there, 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 there are a lot of challenges and problems within our systems and structures that, that need interrogation Um, and fixing, right? So I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like, just, I I like to use a lot of my personal experiences around education, how I view it and how, and and my view of education has grown and has changed over the years. Um, And Even now as a college professor, like, you know, schooling and education is important, right? I recognize it's a necessary evil, but we got to really rethink how we do it, right? And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Just like, how how do we reimagine schools, right? Like, how, how do we get schools to be lit? Uh, and the true essence of what lit is, right? Not what white
0: folks think it's lit. No, that's true. That's true. And, yeah. uh, and the line, what, what about yourself? Yeah, like, I, you, mean,
3: yeah. I mean, it you said a, yeah, yeah, I said a lot of interesting things um, that I kind of wanted to touch on, too, right? So I'm from Guyana. My parents clearly were, was born there. I was born there. Came over here. I think it was a, it was a storm like this, too. Uh, I was almost three years old. Uh, then I just went right into daycare a couple months later and then, kind of progress from there. And I remember as a as a child, as like a really young came up my mom especially would bring home like these workbooks or like these little those like little things like a fan out with all the questionnaires and stuff like that. And I would ask my mom like this is fifth grade level. I'm in second grade. Like what are you doing? Like I don't I don't I don't have to do this. And she was like, just do it. Just, yeah, just do it. And I think a lot of my education, like or the, the progress of my education started from there, because I was always advanced, right? Or quote unquote advanced. Which kind of made me, like, as I got older, I started to think about it. And I'm like, why didn't everybody have the same kind of, um, if I could do it, why couldn't everybody else in my class do it? Right. So eventually, I don't know how you guys schools work, but there was like alert or Astro or whatever. It was like an advanced class. So I'd always be in an advanced class, but, you know, like I said, as I got older, like I'm still friends with the people in the quote, unquote regular class and they're labeled as like not intelligent or need They need more help or something like that. But they knew, like, if you ask them something about, like, sharks, they could tell you everything they used to know about sharks because that's what they're interested in, right? So as Edmund was, like, alluding to, like, sometimes you have to meet kids at their, at where, where they're at, right, and bring them up to speed um, in that way. Um, so, like I, I, like, I really appreciate what my mom did for me, just, like, continue to push me to do, to be not at what my level, what they said my level was, but above and beyond that. But, um in terms of like fixing the education system, I think sometimes it's okay to like push kids beyond where they're at. Like and and sometimes we don't do that, especially in the in, in like um in elementary school, for example, because it starts so early. And because my mom pushed me at an early age and because I got into like alert or honors or whatever it is, that led me on the track to once I got into junior high school, I'm taking like high school courses. Once I got into high school, I'm taking college courses. Right. And then once I got into college, I'm taking graduate level courses and I'm doing like things that aren't necessarily where I'm supposed to be quote unquote so I think that that's part of the fixing um labeling kids at a young age I really don't like that right like labeling them as to be there here or there just just push all the kids as much as you can and uh, I know I have some friends that um one one kid one guy I know um, he's doing like a, a reimagining schools program where they're, they're trying to bring like real life experiences into the classroom uh, from from like high school I believe high school junior high school I know somebody else is doing a program where they're actually um, they're only focused on kids that got left back for whatever reason because it's like these kids are smart too, right? And we see that, and I I see that with my friends that struggled through school when they were younger, and now they're doing great things, right, as adults because eventually somebody gave them that opportunity, right? So if we give the kids the opportunity at a younger age, I think things will be a lot better. Yeah, you know, I,
2: I wanna I wanna say something real quick. You know, I, I'm I'm recognizing we both we both have like. First generation, well, immigrant experiences in a sense, right? And I, I you know, when I when I talk about schooling, when, especially when it comes to Black people, right? I think you a, It's important to recognize that, you know, you have Black Americans folks who have who like like historically families were brought here as in, like as, as enslaved people, um, and then you have folks who have migrated here, right? When I think about our experiences, like our parents didn't go to schools here, right? So our, our parents may not have experienced that trauma that a lot of folks experience in in in, in schools. A lot of folks of color experience in schools across the country, right? And I always think about that. I think about my privilege in that sense. I think like when I see my like when I see my my peers and my and my colleagues and my my friends when I was younger, you know, always one like my, my parents were super involved and super invested in my education, right, for obvious reasons because so they they thought that that was the the means to to, to become successful. But I, I didn't realize it wasn't always the same for all of my peers, and I always I always think about this idea of like. You know, folks experiencing trauma in schools and saying like, you know what, do do what you can in those in that school and just graduate or do whatever you can. Or maybe as a parent, I didn't make it through, so I don't. I mean, I expect my child to make it through just because of not because of the competency or the ability to get to get through it, but just because the, the the experiences are just so traumatic and so devastating that that's what you know a lot of students just end up leaving school. So I think it's also a privilege and honor not to be an immigrant. I mean, yeah, in a sense to be an immigrant, but like having a different, a different experience and more nuanced experience, I think it's important for us to acknowledge, well, for me to acknowledge that.
1: Admin, I, I do have a specific question for you um, in regards to your um, expertise in hip hop. I'm not sure if you've heard of Prodigy's album and he talks about the Hegelian dialectic and I kind of wanted to get your input on this because what he talks about in that album you can relate this to all aspects of life including um the education system and how there's this big divide and this huge uh dialectic between black versus white and all of that in regards to the education system so can you speak on on your thoughts about that
2: yeah i mean i think that that, i mean i think folks just know that like you know I I would assume if you're a person, not everybody, right? You know, not everybody's there, but like a lot of folks recognize that there are are differences, right? Um, From from people of color, black people, and white folks who are, navigate public schools across our nation. And when you just think about the history of public schooling, like public schools started in the late seven, the idea of public schools started in the late 1700s. They started, you know, they started coming to fruition early 1800s. And even the establishment of the public school system, black folks are still enslaved across the country, right? So I always tell people that there's no way that our educational our education system was created for us right it wasn't created with us in mind right over time they started they started like to incorporate us a little bit more but not necessarily our values right so i always say that education systems they 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 are aligned to european white values at, at its core right and as a as a black person a person of color if you come from a loud family you come from a family that like, loves to just like hang out and. Just be like, you know, extra, like super extroverted, right? That you cannot take that, that self into a classroom, right? When you go into a classroom as a kid, all they're, they're trying, the, the idea is just controlling you, right? Like, we don't do this here. We don't do that here. This is not appropriate, right? As opposed to recognizing that these are, you know, their are values that students bring with them into, into these educational spaces, wherever they go, right? And just as white folks, their values are everywhere in every system anchored with, you know, that, that's anchored in this nation, it's important if we really want to be inclusive, right? That's that's the whole. That's what the conversation has been the last couple of years, right? If we really want to be inclusive and talk about equity, right? You know, we have to really think about how we're going to interrogate these systems, particularly education system, right? To to better support students. And when we talk about supporting students, it's important to recognize that recognize that schools are way more segregated now than they've ever been in our nation's history, right? We talk about Brown versus Brown versus Board of Education. That was the idea to integrate schools. And the idea was it was coming from a good place, right? Black folks had little to no resources and they had to pull the community together to get the resources for schools and white schools got funding from government. And black folks like, yo, imagine if our, our kids are doing okay right now, but imagine if they went to that school up the block where they have more resources, right? But a lot of folks didn't recognize or think about it, It's like, damn, like that school does have more resources, but those resources are not necessarily tailored to our students, right? So Brown versus Board Education, schools got integrated, black schools closed because- you know, a lot of Black students wanted to go, like Black fans wanted their kids to go to white schools because they, they saw at those as better schools, right? And it's also problematic in a sense because we always think that within our cultures, within our communities, because I feel like we're, look, we're so look, we're looked down upon just historically that we may not have mm-hmm. it, right? Or it may not be valuable. We need to go somewhere else to seek it. You know what I mean? But, like, we also got to, we have to... Empower and privilege the knowledges that we have and that come from ourselves and our cultures. And I think we're starting to see more of that, right? I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but there needs to be more of that and we need to empower our young people to see more of that as well.
5: And Nelan, I just want to kind of pose a question to you as well, you know, uh, to my understanding, you went to school in the New York City public school system uh, in Brooklyn, uh, coming from, you know, immigrant background uh, and then also immersing yourself in American a, a culture going to school like was there any type of way that you kind of shaped yourself when you showed up like were you able to kind of be your authentic self what did you have to kind of you know uh, ma- you know change according to your environments
3: <laughs> that's, that's a funny question um because so I came up here when I was three and I guess I had an accent until I was like six or seven which I didn't know I had an accent right I, I grew up in at that point I was in Bushwick so it was like Hispanics or, you know, people from where I'm from, you know, West Indies. And I got to school and it's like more African-Americans. And I kept saying tree instead of three. And everybody started making fun of me. So like everybody was like, oh, my ass and everything. <laughs> and it's like, that's really, that's the first time that like, I started to like be cognizant of like what was going on around me. Um, in terms of that, so in terms of like me, me from a different country. And I guess speaking differently, which I didn't realize I was doing. Um, but um in my experience, though, like I went to both like mostly black or Hispanic and then mostly white schools like my, my high school is mostly white and Asian um, and then other schools were were, were different, um, mostly, mostly minorities. And um, I mean, it's interesting, a lot of a lot of the points that everybody's a, a has made and also taught at both HBCUs and now a, a majority like white school. Right. And I remember I, I kind of got in trouble for saying this one time when they were talking about like black students uh, and I, I told them, like, this isn't a reform school, right? Like, we're in college, right? Like, ain't nobody coming here trying to be a gangster. Like, they may not dress the right way all the time. They may not, like, speak the right way all the time. But they should be here to learn, right? And then you go to the white schools, they dress with hoodies on. They wear whatever they want. And the, the teachers are focused on their education, right? A, they, they, they trust their values. Mm. And it's like, it's like head scratches to me. Like, why can't you trust the Black kids' values where mm. they grew up? Like, they clearly want to get educated. education. They, they might be knuckleheads sometimes. They might do silly things, whatever, because of their culture, their background, whatever you want, want to call it. But they're not bad kids, right? Like, this isn't, this isn't prison, right? So why are we so focused on that? So like, 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 like Edmund mentioned, even in public schools, like, you know, in the public schools I grew up in, like, there was so much of emphasis of like, you know, kids getting into fights and it's like, yeah, handle it when it needs to be handled. But we're not criminals, right? We want to get it, we like focus on the education, focus on the resources that we need to be in place um, for the kids to you know, matriculate through, through the school system. Um, and in terms of like, you know, the lack of resources, I think I there think should be a balance between like resources and like networking sometimes too. Uh, what I realized with um, going to a more, more diverse school, right? Is that once you graduate, you have more diverse friends. Right. And we all know, we're all like young professionals, like how important diverse network of friends is for like your job, for whatever it is that you want to do. Um, so I think that's sometimes that's the benefit of going to like a more diverse school. And I hope like schools do become more diverse and it isn't just all minority or all, you know, you know, not minority, whatever you want to call it. I think that's really important. You know.
5: No, definitely, man. Uh- uh, thank you for, you know, just kind of going into that, that idea of just like your duality and how you showed up into you know different rooms and also your experience of you know how how things are, how students of color are treated or trusted and concerned of getting them their own education, right? Because you see like, oh we need yeah. to we need to take their phones away from them. We need to, you know, send them through I know when I was in junior high school we had to go through metal detectors, right? And it's just like
0: mm-hmm. oh, not lehman
5: <laughs> um you know <laughs> And, um, and that kind of, kind of shaped, you know, what, you know, how you trusted yourself or how you kind of, you know, you know, looked at yourself, yeah. so, you know, am I a danger to myself or am I a danger to what's going on in the school when I'm just here to show up and learn? So, yeah. Yeah. Like,
3: like, for example, like, I think I'm not going to say the school, but one school I went to more teachers stopped me to tell me to take off my hat, then ask me like, all right, I guess take off my hat, but. There's also there should be a balance there like like you should be nurturing me and my education more than like telling me how to dress like okay take off my hat boom now what you know what I mean like uh, that's that's weird to me a lot of times you know
0: oh no I was I was gonna bring it up because um. Edmund and Alain, you both kind of touched upon the that you, you had opportunities kind of working in, in two different environments. So, kind of pointing out, maybe what are some of the things that you saw between, you know, um, some of the the places where you have taught at, you know, whether it's like low come income places versus these high, you know, um, places where you know families can can afford a um, a price tag on their, on their on their education and not having to to go to public school. So, to kind of shed some light on that.
2: Yeah, um, I, I've I've had the privilege of teaching like in a lot of different places. I taught at private, like independent schools in um, in New York City. Like, I went, yeah. Like, I, I taught at Chapin. I taught at like Horace Mann over the summer. I taught, in, and I taught in the Bronx, so, like you know, my, in District Eleven, and and you know, and I have a higher ed teaching experience. But like out of all those teaching experiences, the best place and the place where I had the most fun was teaching in the Bronx, right? And you know, obviously there are differences which, across all spans and across, you know, all areas. I think when you think about teaching at, at private, independent schools in New York City that that cater, you know, tuition is about $45,000 a year, that like college tuition for high school, of course the students are going to have more resources there, right? I think from as an educator, you know, it, it's, it's really about how you see your students. And that's the I think that's the biggest challenge, right? If you're teaching at, at a private school, independent school, where it costs 45 stacks to go to, go to school there, nobody, nobody looking at you like a criminal. Right, criminals don't, don't pay forty five thousand dollars to go to school a year, right? But unfortunately, if you're teaching in a in a in a, low, in a school that's in a low income area that that serves and supports folks who have been under resourced, you know, um, have less access, you know, you you start to, folks might look at them, folks are more apt to look at them as criminals, right? And 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 question those behaviors, like where are you coming from, like why is it? You know, why aren't you? Why can't you do this right? And, and assume that a lot of these students from low-income communities just have um this are disadvantaged, right? You know, coming from a low-income community and being under resourced doesn't mean that you're an idiot, you know. It doesn't mean that you're deficit, right? Those are not, those you know, those things are not they're not equal, right? Um, but it's important for us to in those spaces how we look and how we perceive young people. Um, I think that's the biggest difference I noticed across across the across the board at, at those different types of schools.
3: I mean, yeah, it's interesting because where I'm at now, NJIT, I think there's more low income people than Hampton University. Hampton got some money. Like those black kids that go there, a lot of them come from like really well off families. There was um, somebody that graduated with me. Actually, was uh, what's the what's the movie called? Pursuit of Happiness. Mm-hmm. His, his daughter went there with me. Right, so they got they got money, like you know what I mean. But they still were treated the same way that, like I just explained to you, like because of the college. And nobody knows that they have money, really. They don't talk about it, but um, they're still treated the same way. But at this school, I know that because I have conversations with the students that a lot of them struggle with, with money because they all like a lot of them have jobs, right? Which is another thing, another hardship. Like going to school, working a full time job, um, is really difficult. Um, so for me, what I try to do. Uh, whether I'm at Hampton, whether I'm, I'm here at NJIT, is build a relationship with the students, right? So I can build that empathy, make an attempt to have empathy for these students. And even if I don't know them, just put some things in you know, um, my courses, my curriculum, that allows for that empathy, allows for that understanding. Like if you forget to do a homework or you're late to class, like I'm not gonna just like fail you all of a sudden. And a lot of teachers, Going into some meetings and faculty meetings, they lack that empathy. They, they, they believe that everybody should be on the same level, should be doing the same um, amount of work and excellence of work. And that, not to say, like, I'm not expecting excellence from you, but just having an understanding of, like, what's going on and prying a little bit and maybe tweaking things as, as the semester goes along to help those students uh, perform better. Because I think, like, if you're, if you're here, you probably want to do well. Like you don't have to go to college. You don't have to get a, a bachelor's or whatever it is. If you're here, you probably want to do well. So why aren't you doing well? And trying to like really pinpoint those things and and and, and push push kids to, to, to be as excellent as they can. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think from that with that point, it's we, it's just recognizing that not every, regardless of your background, your context, not everybody, not everybody has the same experiences. So you can be a wealthy person and struggle with like a mental health disorder. You guys support from yeah, right, right. Like the empathy piece is super important, right? And also recognize that everybody different. You know, I think us, like all of us, we all have college and right. right? And that that there's a privilege that comes with that, right? And and you know, for me, I think like like yeah, it was hard work, right? But it was also like luck, like shit. I, there's so many different times I could have, like, I would not be here right now. I would not be a doctor. I would not have a crib. Like, I, I and I think like it's about those moments. But it's like, oh.
5: hey, can I can I just make a point to that, Edmund? So I remember, um, you know, I I remember going to an internship out of state and, you know, I was telling people where I was from and not too many people know where East New York is in Brooklyn. They were like, oh, they think it's like East Brooklyn or something like that. Right. That's that's the East. Like, right. And so when I finally, you know, because then I get two reactions, people kind of like lean in or they like, oh, shit, like, congratulations. Or like, oh, damn, like. You hood.
3: <laughs>
5: so, um, I mean, one interaction with somebody, they they understood and, you know, they was familiar. Like, oh, you're from East New York? Like, congratulations. They leaned really, they, really, they leaned uh, right in. And it was like, oh, I'm proud of you. You made it. <laughs> and I was just like, like, what you thought? You know, I mean, I understand, like, there's a lot of people that's disfranchised by, you know, the, the oppression that's going on around us. But there's a lot of people who's making it as well. And so it's yeah. just, you know, yeah. it's just really interesting to kind of, see that, like, kind of navigate the world and, and have people uh, react to where I come from and, you know, and the things that I've navigated through. Uh, but with that, I just want to kind of pass it over to Jasmine, um, you know, just to kind of talk about some of, like, the impacts of all these things.
4: Um, so, you know, we all definitely been in this pandemic going over, like, a little over a year now. And as I said before, like, I work in a child welfare agency in which I work with families that are already misfortunate. So you would think like you know education will be like their first thing that they focus on, the first thing they want to make sure is done. But you know, their basic needs are not even met. So I have a question for you guys. You know, as transition into remote learning, how do you think that has affected our how children learn, and more so how the parents have to help more so now the children learn? If that makes sense.
3: but well, remote learning sucks, right? Like for everybody. Like the students say it sucks. I think it sucks. Like the 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 lack of ability, because you know I'm, I'm a I'm a chemical engineer. I teach chemical engineering classes. So you know when you're in the class, it, it, it's complicated. It's hard, right? There's no there's no getting away. You no know, go no getting around that. But when you're in the class and you're looking around, nobody wants to ask any questions. But you can see their eyes glaze over and like just get lost. Right. You can say, OK, let me repeat myself now. Like, let me do it. Let me explain it differently. You can gauge those kind of things. But in remote learning, you know, most most kids don't want to turn on their cameras. Can't really. They don't want to talk. They don't want to do anything. So it's just it's just hard. And then, and then I was reading a few articles, too, that a lot of students. Miss being with students, like miss interacting with students, even if they're not like talking in the class, just being next to another person. Um, answering questions and just hearing other 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 kids or other students um, talk, they miss that. Right. So like, you know, it sucks. It really does suck for everybody. But well, just going back to empathy, just understanding that we don't know what's going on in, in back home for them. We don't know how difficult it is, how, how many how many, you know, kids are running around the house, whoever's running cousins, whoever's running around the house. Um, that takes away their focus. Right. That that, that clear, like for anybody. If I was talking to you right now, my kids jump in, I'll lose focus on what I'm saying. So just having that understanding and and just, once again, putting things within the curriculum to to keep that in mind, that you don't know what's happening for them and just trying to push them along as much as possible.
2: Yeah, you know, I would agree. You know, it's virtual learning is trash, you know, Um, but (laughs) it also what it does is that it, it, it. like they've been, like they've been in equities before the pandemic, right? I remember even before the pandemic, I'm like, yo, people with ribs are touching, like people hungry, like people, you know, at least in New York City, the rent was increasing crazy. I know, I know people who were like losing jobs even before the pandemic and a lot of businesses are struggling. Like we moved to this transition, right? The folks who have, who are already experiencing that before the pandemic are experiencing kind of like two or three times fold, right? So, Number one, it's important us to recognize that. And I think as educators, I, I talk to teachers, yeah. I talk to teachers like, yo, you gotta have your cameras on. I'm like, yo, chill. Like I know nobody likes talk, nobody likes talking to a, a bunch of black boxes or teaching to a bunch of black boxes. But number one, if you was popping and engaging, you know, you're gonna have a bunch of black boxes, right? Um, and number two is also it's it's important to recognize the context where you're teaching, because I've been in schools where teachers are like, yo, we don't care if the kids turn their cameras on because you recognize that kids don't have the internet, they're using hotspots to go to school. And if you turn your camera off, you don't. You're not using as much bandwidth, right? So, mm-hmm. like we're talking about survival, right? We know how to survive, right? I'm going to act three dollars. I'm going to the store. I'm gonna come out with two meals, you know. Like we, we find ways to survive, mm-hmm. but the ways that we that we not manage to survive may not be the way that the institution will what the institution might want to recognize, right? So it's it, it's just important, like when we talk about equity, talk about equity in, in its true sense, right? In terms of access, in terms of resources quality of care like all these little things right that 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 people didn't have access to before the pandemic and the pandemic the pandemic just made it super hard so many government programming programs that were there to support people who have who have been historically um marginalized and oppressed you know are either taking hits or um no longer exist. and like we're going to see the effects the economic effects of the pandemic for some time now right so it's like and earlier I said like, you know, I'm happy that I have a job. So I know so many families that just like are in industries where they just they can't even work if they wanted to, right? Like they just, there are just no jobs. The whole entire industry is gone right now. So it's important to like, you know, empathy is important, but then also like for institutions. I'm talking about like in, like school systems and like what do I what are what do you really doing? Right. And like giving kids giving kids iPads is a solution, but recognizing that that's just a band-aid right? It's, it's not an ultimate solution. So, you know, to like, to recognize that these students are under-resourced, what system, you know, how are we changing it or, or, you know, manipulating these systems to have a, a long-lasting and positive impact on these families and communities?
1: Yeah, Admin, I have a follow-up question for you and Nalan. Like, uh, what you guys are talking about is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Going back to what Jasmine was saying, this is all related to mental health and how are kids even going to be interested in learning if they're not even having their... Their basic needs met, and so my question to you guys is: How do we bridge that duality? How do we uh, meet students where they're at? Because let's be real, it's going to take a lot of time for there not to be uh, inequality and in inequities in schools. So then, how do we uh, adapt to the system and make sure that we bridge this gap, this divide, this this uh, duality that we're seeing within the system?
3: I think I think diversity in the system. help like hiring more uh, minority professors and minority teachers that can really understand where the the kids are coming like i I don't know like for example i've had a a ton of students come to me like crying like before the pandemic and the first time it happened i didn't know what was going on i was like why is this person crying in my office like i don't understand and you're coming to me but they they i guess they saw themselves in me they felt comfortable enough to come to me and talk about their problems i've had students that you know, really wanted to be part of the divine nine and it wasn't working out for them. And they just kind of but if but if they they said that they if they talked to like a Turkish professor or a Chinese professor, they were like, who the hell cares about like what's the divine nine? That's just an alphabet. Like what are you talking about? Right? They wouldn't understand like the passion that they have and not to say like you have to push to push away your education or whatever for for that reason. But being a, a black person in America and going through the college system, I kind of understand that passion. Right? I understand where they're coming from, and it clearly was affecting. You know, it was like two students actually. These students that were really bright students, there was there was affect. It was affecting, you know, how they were performing in the classroom. So I think the diversity within the system, within whatever, whatever whether it's public schools or higher education, is really important.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree. Right, I think all this like system policy change that, that needs to be made that like we have no control over, unfortunately, but I would agree. Like we need to increase diversity within all the fields. And the way of doing that, we need to incentivize teaching more. Right. I think teachers get like, teachers are treated like shit. Right. And everybody's like, Oh, open, open up the schools, go back to work. And teachers are like, nah, like, I'm not going, you know, why, why would I risk my life? That's true. And my family's life for capitalism. Right. So you know it's important you know i think increasing diversity i think um like real community partnerships like it, it, like we talk about we talk about higher ed and we could talk about city right like public schools are are run by local, go- local, local local community governments higher ed institutions are run by boards of trustees right and oftentimes most of these board of trustees are white and they're the ones or and, and have no experience in education and are making the decisions for the university right and you check out these universities that have crazy endowments, you know, Google your, well, not, not Plattsburgh, but Google your university and check out and look at the endowment that it has and try and think about like, yo, even we took one mil out this endowment, two mil, 10 mil, right? How can we utilize that bread to, to create some, some structural change, right? Incentivize teaching. Like, yo, yo you're not incentivizing teaching unless you're paying Black Unless you're you're paying black people more to come to your to your institution, right? Um, yeah, and, that, and that's, that's that's just a start, right? And like for me, intensivizing is like, yo, show me how much you want me, right? Mm-hmm. To me, money talks. You know, like, don't don't like we live in a capitalist society, but when I'm talking about bread, y'all don't want to be y'all don't want to talk about y'all don't want to you know follow capitalism. Like, nah, son, pay me too, right? But like that, yeah, that's yeah. that's a big piece of it. Like teachers are 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 not treated well. You know what I mean? Teachers are not treated well at all. Like you know, politicians. Everybody shits on teachers, right? But without teachers, your yeah, schools are not going to run. So, like, I think generally teachers have a very low morale. Like, they for a, t- a time now had a low morale. I think this this pandemic has hit has hit differently. I just read an article in New York City public school teachers. It says sixty five percent will leave the profession if they could. Right. So that just demonstrates just how like any like if you have people who have who are not who are not happy at their jobs, how can you? How can they translate that to being happy with their students, right? I think there are a lot of things and issues that we have to fix. I think increasing diversity is one way of doing it. Incentivizing teachers, right? Incentivizing Black male teachers because only three percent of us in public schools, you know, um, you know, and, and, and you know, and finding ways to really, you know, privilege the voices, you know, to privilege voices, community voices, parent voices. And like you know establish those partnerships amongst community and families right because you're not going to know the needs of your students unless you know the needs of their families and talk to them
3: so, so just to piggyback off what he just said too like so in terms of like education i don't i don't think i don't think our jobs like for me at least my job doesn't begin or end in the classroom or virtual classes whatever you want to call it i think there's like this mentorship component that's really important so um, I've had a lot of students after they graduated or even you know after they, they move on from me, they always a lot a lot of them like always come back and say, "Oh, can I have a conversation with you? Can I talk to you? I see these other things that you're doing if they look me up on LinkedIn. And that's really important, right? I know some other people that like literally like scout high school students to come to the college and they 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 help them matriculate through, and then you still have the relationship. and that's that's really that's that's I think that's really important, especially, um, for me, like I'm an immigrant. So one time, I'll tell you a story real quick. I, I did a, I did a speech at this um at this event, and um, a white guy came up to me. And I think he was from like from Scotland. And he was a first generation American as well. He grew up in New York somewhere. And he was basically saying like him and I are similar. I was like, okay. He's like, listen, I know I'm a white guy, <laughs> but like, let me explain. Like, I don't like, I but skin? let me explain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you what that?
3: he was saying to me, what he was saying to me is like um, immigrants have like a very similar struggle and his parents really didn't really, he, he didn't, not that they didn't care about education, it was like work hard, get your education and then go to work, go to the workforce. They didn't realize all the other things that occur while you're in school, like whether it's like sports or relationships or whatever the kid, mental health, they didn't care about any of that. It was like go to school. Get a job and that's it. So, um, and he was basically saying, like, he he was old, he's a lot older than me, like twenty years older than me. So, he was saying essentially, now with his kids, he can teach them a little bit how to navigate the system a little bit more. And I always think about that with my kids, like I'm going to be able to teach them how to navigate the system, right? Like, don't take that. Why are you taking AP, whatever? Like, that's that's going to bring your GPA down. These these other folks that's going to Harvard, whatever they don't they know what they're good at, what they're not good at, and they stay away from what they're not good at, so their they GPA can get boosted up, right? It's like like little things like that you can navigate this system. Instead of you could be on a basketball team, but you might want to do crew, right? Because crew, being a black kid doing crew, you will get a scholarship somewhere, right? Like automatically, right? Like yeah. do lacrosse, like do something like that. So like just understanding like the little things of how to navigate this the system that isn't, once again, built for us, like now we have a little bit of insight and we can like navigate the next generation. And so that's that's where like, I'm gonna mentor my kids. I try to be a mentor for as many other people that as, as I can be. And, you know, there's, there's so many programs out there that, you know, we all should be involved in to help out um, the people that, you know, you always say this, right? If I knew what I knew 10 years ago, let the people 10 years before us, let them know it right now, you know what I mean? So they can navigate it properly and they could be more successful than we are.
5: And I just wanted to say thank you for sharing those stories because it kind of go right into the question that I had uh, earlier. It was about um, the fact that there's like, Edmund has stated only 3% of, you know, uh, black or African male teachers in the system, you know? And what, at some point, like it has to be taxing, right? To be the representative, representative, representative for, you know, X amount of students or when they have problems, or, you know, when they have issues, and whether it's educational or on a social emotional level, right? So I guess it's just like, what are some of the things that you all are doing um, to kind of, you know, co- you know, to offset that uh, and and treat your own or uh, kind of maintain your own self throughout the system?
3: Um, That's a phenomenal question.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think for me this year, I mean, it's the, you know, self-care is always important, right? I think for me this year, I've, I've been intentionally just like prioritizing it especially in this virtual context like I'm I, you know I, to we all know how hard we have to work to be in the places that we are and I think we're, we've been so conditioned I think sometimes like yo you're in a position of power and you're lucky to be here so you got to keep you have this mindset that you got to keep busting your ass just to maintain that um but like recognizing that that you know that's a capitalistic kind of structure and ideology right but for me just like you know just respecting my like respecting my time mm-hmm. you know um making sure I have time to, to stay home and, and be with family and, and do the things that I want to do. Right. And, and like putting an end time to work. And if I don't get to, it, I don't get to it. Right. Just keep it pushing and move on and, and get to it the next day. But, you know, but for me, as, as a scholar, as, as an academic, I have, you know, I teach on Wednesdays and I have free time. I mean, it's not free time, but to other folks, they think it's free time. But the, the beauty of my work is I'm allowed to engage in research, engage, engage in other projects. So for me, if I'm engaging in something that's outside of work, it needs to be something that I'm passionate about and that I, that I want to do, you know. Um, so this that balancing, like we all have arduous tasks that we don't want to do what we have to, but balancing that thing with, like, with that, with love projects and, and making sure that I'm happy with the work that I'm doing and I'm, I'm satisfied with it. And that it's going to really be impactful and contribute to change and changing the lives of folks. So that's, that's really where I'm at around my, my self-care and ensuring that, you know, I'm pushing towards my own personal goals while I'm, while I'm working, engaging, working
3: within the system. Um. Yeah, like I, 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 I do a lot of self care. So I, I hate working on Fridays, <laughs> and I think I think extension made me do that, right? Because like nobody really goes off on like Fridays when I worked in the industry. That's so the I don't, travel I really day. Like working on Friday. Yeah, that's the travel day, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. I missed that. Open it up. Open it up.
3: <laughs> so, um, yeah, like just just knowing like what your limits are, and and for me, like the most, like so. I guess Edmund goes through the same thing, right? Like, um, at the end of the semester, you get rated by the students. And uh, I think at first, I would take things personal. Like, I would be like, what? Like, what you, what you say? Like, come see me. Put your name on the handle. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, say what you gotta say. But, um, you know, not taking things personal. Like, everybody has different backgrounds. Everybody has different fields. Everybody has different learning styles. And, um, you know, appreciating, you know, the fact that you are making an impact on at least some people's lives, some students' lives. They really, uh, the people that like really like me, they they really, really like me. They want to sync contact with me. They really appreciate what I did in the classroom. Um, and so just like trying to have an even keel to, to everything and always keeping in mind, like, you know, staying humble, right? Like um, just trying to be better than you were the day before or the semester before, the year before, whatever it is. Always trying to grow no matter if you, you know, People say they like you, people say they don't like you, just trying to like be the best that you can be. And um, always came into mind too, like what you're doing it for, right? Like many, many, like 10 or 12 years ago, somebody I was tutoring, they were from East New York too, actually. Um, they told me, she, I was tutoring her in chemistry and she said to me, um, she got frustrated. She was like, ah, I can't do this. This isn't meant for people like us. Mm. Like this isn't meant for people like us. And she wanted to work in in, in in like the cosmetic industry or something like that, and like that stuck with me. Like her mindset is like, I can't do it because of where I'm from. I'm from East New York. I'm, you know, this mix. She's like black and Hispanic, whatever she was, and she really believed in her mindset. Like this field isn't for people from East New York. So keeping that in mind is like, you know, just that things like that keep me pushing um, and keep me going and in, in what I'm trying to do.
5: You know, education feel. Yeah, that's dope, man. I mean, the imposter syndrome is real. You know, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, you growing up in Brooklyn, and, my, and myself is like, it's just like, again, it, it's it's sad to say, but a lot of the, you know, early on as a child growing up is like, all I seen was drug dealers and athletes, and you know, then you have your everyday workers, but don't like nobody's coming home to talk about the excitement about what they do. You only hear about yeah, yeah. You know, about what's being boasted about in your neighborhood. So when you get to these unknown territories, it's just like the imposter syndrome is real. You know, when people were kind of, you know, growing up seeing different, uh, I'm only seeing like certain, you know, you know, opportunities, like what is an athlete or maybe, you know, where I would come from was drug dealers. Right. And these are the people who have boast about what they were excited to do. Like everybody that had like a nine to five job, never was excited about what they did to kind of like Influence or educate, you know, the masses or you know people in the community. So when you get to fields where you don't see people uh, that look like you or talk like you or where you are from, you know, that imposter syndrome kind of sets in. Like, can I, can I, mm-hmm. can I survive here? Can I make it here? Um, and so I thought it was just, you know, interesting as you started to uh, talk about the experience with
3: that student from recent. Yeah, and as, as as Edmund said earlier too, like everybody here, we we're, we're kind of lucky to be. I don't know everybody's background, I don't know everybody's experience, but same thing here. Like, I didn't really have a chemist on my block or a chemical, or not, not, a, not a legal chemist, at least. You know what I'm saying? Like
5: So,
3: <laughs> so it, was like it was like, there was a lot of bad influences around me. However, um, you know, I had cousins that was like, nah, you're not going to do that. Like, you going over here? Nah, go, go that way. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, people that protected me, people that like held me down, I realized my potential, even though they weren't doing the right thing, they were like, nah, you're not going to follow this right here. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll see you later. You know what I'm saying? Like, people that really helped me down and, 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 and try to help me just go along the right path. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, you know, sports helped me out a lot. Like, those, those things like that, like, that, that kept me busy. I remember one time somebody was like, um, you know, I, I went to basketball practice in high school and I, and I heard, like, there was a bunch of bloods that was, like, waiting for me at the McDonald's or something like that. I was like... Oh, well, <laughs> thank you, coach. <laughs> like, so, like, getting into, like, nonsense like like that, like, you never know, like, what could have happened in all that, that situation, right? Where Would I, like, have died? Would I have clapped back? Would or have brought my boys? And, and I would have went to jail? Like, there's so many different avenues. and so many different things that could have happened. And, you know, whether you believe in, like, the universe or God or whatever, like, I really feel like I was protected a lot of times in my life because I could have went this way or that way. And... You know, you never know how things will
1: go. Naman and and Mark, you bring up a really valid point for our listeners is that imposter syndrome is a real thing. And I feel like when you do, especially people of color, when they get into places where you've never seen people of color, that imposter syndrome hits hard. Um, And so Admin brought up a good point earlier, and it kind of ties back to what we're talking about now, how... We need to have more people who look like us in places where we don't see us so we could be the example for other people of color that it's possible because without seeing it, people are going to say what the little girl said to Nalan and say, well, I don't belong in that field. That's not for me. And so yeah. I'm really glad that, Mark, you brought that point up. Mental health is not talked about in in our cultures. And so that's it's really difficult to overcome that. But I want to let our listeners know that it's, it's not impossible. You could literally... Uh, be anything you want and don't let the fact that you don't see someone who looks like you stop you from doing that because you can be that person for other people so
4: we,
3: we've been doing some studies here at njit too like we're trying to keep track of mental health um, especially during covid and it's it is on a rise actually like a lot of students that didn't realize they had mental health issue issues it's coming out now right like because the, the kids that have whatever the mental health issue is you know, they require like, if like for examination, they require like extra time, whatever it is. And a lot of students are coming out finally and saying, I have an issue and it might be related to COVID or it clearly it's related to COVID because there's, a, there's some rise, right? So there's some kind of correlation, you know, affiliation with, with the two. Yeah. Correlation with the two. I think,
0: but everyone's points have been really great. And I think there's value in community, right? I think in the line, you also touched upon just learning from prior experiences those, Right. So, so people that knew was, you know, on that track that, could possibly get you locked up or killed. they they kind of steering you away from that and, and telling you to, okay, this is what they know. You you should pr- pursue education, you know, get into the extracurricular activities. So it's, it's definitely important. You know, community definitely shapes us and guides us to to the individuals we are today. And we we know there's definitely been opportunities for us to go a different way, especially growing up in New York. It's hard out there in the streets, you know what I mean?
3: But, and like, do, do people not watch like Scarface and like paid in full? It never ends well. Like, it's just, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> like, it never ends well. Like, you're, like either you need to go to jail or you're gonna die. Like, why are you doing this?
5: <laughs> and, and, and I just wanted to say one thing, and it, it, like, that's so true though, right? It's just like, we <laughs> know how this ends, right? But for whatever reason, that's a reality for a lot of people still today is yeah. like, uh, this is what I know. And it like recidivism, right? Like, you know, when people go to prison, they come out do the same thing and you know, go the same thing happens. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's, and that's a, that's a real, that's a real like cycle that we got to continue to work on. But like, even for myself, somebody who went away for school, had an opportunity to travel abroad and even live out of of the state for a, for a short time is like coming back to where I was, you know, where I'm from and, you know, and working as a professional is really interesting because like a lot of people Mm -hmm. like, Oh education is my escape, right? I can go somewhere and, you know, transplant myself somewhere else. But for a lot of people, the reality is they end up right back where they started, um, you know, for whatever reason. And, and it's just interesting, like, you know, did the time that I invest, was education the access or the key that they said it was going to open up these doors that's going to completely change my life. Um, And it's just something to think about as people kind of transition, um, going back to school, you know, returning to school, you know, in this COVID situation and, and, and also just kind of, you know, figuring out how that's going to work financially
3: or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick though. So I got a cousin, right? I grew, I grew up with my cousin and like, like he was my brother, like just always together. And recently I was like on the phone with him complaining about my kids as most parents do, right? Like kids talk sometimes. And he basically was like, yo, do you, do you call him bad though? And I was like, nah, try not to use the word bad, right? Like, and I said this earlier, like labeling people as a young, kids at a young age. And ever since I can remember this cousin that I have was labeled as bad, right? Like when I was three, four years old, he's three years older than me, right? It was always like this, I'm not gonna say his name, he's bad, like he's bad, like he's always bad. And he took that on, like that was his personality. He was like, oh, I guess I'm bad. Even when we would like play games, he would always want to be the bad guy. He always wanted to be the villain. So when he became like fourteen, he big Crip now, right? Now he's a Crip. Now he's doing all this other stuff. He's not a bad like when when he's with me, he's the silliest play, most, more play most playful kid ever, ever. But when we like in the streets, like when we in Flatbush, whatever, it's like, yo, what up, my yeah, da da da. da, 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 da. And I'm like, yo, who are you right now? Like, and I'm, I'm cutting his ass. I'm like, yo, chill out. So I'm like, you're not, you're not tough. <laughs> and later on, of course, like, once again, he's bad. Like, he's crip. He's this and that. Gets locked up for multiple, multiple reasons, goes to jail for a year. And it took him a really long time to, like, get his life back on track, right? And to me, it's just like, when we were kids, instead of, like, nurturing him and, and like, doing things to, like, help him, everybody was just saying, he's bad. Because he like liked to make jokes and like to make fun of people, whatever, whatever, things like that. And I have another cousin that like same thing. I was like, he was always considered bad. He we would go to like the store and he would like steal like a banana just just for the just for the, the fun of it. Him too became like, you know, the head of his own crib um gang, um, script set when he was like twelve years old. By the time he was twenty, I shut up and died. And it's just like why, like, why? Because when he was younger, he did some silly stuff because he saw somebody else do it or whoever he was around, whoever he was in the house with. Like, nobody ever corrected it. They just was like, oh, he's bad. So since he was that that's one. of younger than me. He was, he was like four or five years younger than me. So I'm seeing him do silly stuff and, like, I'm young, so I'm old, he's always stealing the banana or whatever it is. And then you, you get older and you, you keep with the same kind of mindset, like, I guess I'm bad, I got to keep that up and he gets shot up by the time he was 20 for no reason at all, right? So, like, labeling kids and putting them in a situation of, you know, not, not pushing them towards whatever it is, education or a better life at a young age, like, it's so important. Like, you got to put them in the in the right place to be successful.
5: And I can only imagine that in the education system that they were wrapped in, that was only reinforced or, you know, more layers are added on. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, like, they have to, like, I think my, my older cousin, he had to go to special ed he wasn't he didn't belong in special ed they just he was just like he was bad he was fighting all the time whatever in school for whatever reason but you speak to him now like once again like he can he usually gets high first but he calls me he talks to me about politics I'm like all right guy like chill out but he's really educated though you know what I'm saying yeah, so and, just just interesting
5: and this and this reminds me of a program that you know myself and Clinton and you know. And, and hundreds of other people, you know, go through um, this program called Education Opportunity Program, EOP. And it basically kind of helps students, you know, access higher education. Um, it's also for private school, HEOP, and for CUNY is like uh, SEEK, right? And it's like the the amount of people, the, the people who come into these programs don't meet the, the general, you know, profile that they would normally accept. And they're usually from low income areas. So, you know, kind of understanding that, story you told about your cousins about people labeling um and then seeing how people yeah. grew up at these programs that they feel like they don't belong The imposter syndrome comes into play because what their experiences was at home and then at these schools is completely different so they're kind of tug there's a tug of war going on um and i've seen so many people fall through the cracks because there's nobody there to kind of say like you belong here or you know we yeah be taking off that label or that agreement that I'm a bad kid or I'm, I can't do this. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I just want to kind of point out that there's there are things that's happening in the education system, uh, you know, like inroads, you know, uh, you know, the program that Edmund is talking about, hip hop education, right? Like the, you know, the, these programs are really shaping, so I don't know, if Edmund, if you want to just kind of talk similar, something uh, you know, briefly about that, about how y'all are creating spaces for our culture, for people to show up, uh, in a more authentic way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My work around with hip hop ed. I, I work with the organization and work on it for a number of years. And you know, our goal is just to just draw the things, just demonstrate the insects of the hip hop and education. Right. And we recognize like, if you think about hip hop, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, right. And everybody loves hip hop generally, right, popular people, you know, pop, you know hip-hop, and hip-hop is, t- hip-hop is popular music right now, right, hip-hop is pop culture right now, mm-hmm. and everybody loves hip-hop, but we can't have hip-hop in schools, right, or students can't bring their hip-hop cells into schools, and it's, it's, such, a, it's such a, it's so unfortunate, so in my work, um, we have a number of, pro- we have a, a bunch of programs, we have one purple the Science genius Program, where we just go in schools, and we have kids write science raps, um, and the kids perform, at the end of the program, it's like super phenomenal, it's dope, and you know, the idea, the goal of the program is not to not to have every student think you know not i don't imagine every student leaving that program becoming an einstein but we want students to recognize that they could be their true selves and still engage in science content right and, and, and you can build that competency in that way and you know our work in hip-hop is just drawing the intersection. so I, in, in my research i i have a framework for hip-hop pedagogy so how do we incorporate it incorporate the elements of hip-hop culture in, in the classroom <laughs> how we're teaching right um know and a lot of folks and we're just here i'm here as a scholar to like really support teachers in this work because i'm kind of a scholar theorist and thinking about this work and i'm also a practitioner you know working with teachers on you know on the um on on the working with teachers on the ground level to really like see what this work can look like right because all this work is new it's it's really new in that sense and you know, folks, we, we have to reimagine what it, look, what it looks like. And everybody has an imagination. We can like, oh, my God, school should have this. The school should have that. But which is dope. But then, like, you know, we have to oftentimes, I mean, we ultimately have to go from a place where we're going from our imagination to going into practice, right? So what does that really look like? So Hip Hop Ed really just, we have a conference every year um in June where we invite teachers to come and explore the intersection of Hip Hop Ed. We have presenters. We have keynote speakers that we've had. um ghost. We had Omari Hartwick. Um, come through one year, we had um, Beverly Bond, we had like, and we have Derek Luke, Derek Luke is like family of ours. So we we have people, we try to bridge like the, we try to bridge, you know, the 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 fields in a sense, right? Because everybody has an experience in education. And I think that's where we're like, we, we, we work with artists and entertainers that we had, um, what's his face? Um, Guru, right? Jay-Z's producer and en- engineer come and talk to us, right? So a lot of we have, we, we like to bring industry folks to come and talk to the young people about like education not like come and talk like education is so important and you need to get a degree but more it's like you know this was my experience and this is how i got to where i got to right but so just showing people that this your, your experience doesn't have to be linear right for a lot of us it's not right there's road bumps you know there, there are challenges along the way and that's fine but as long as you're persistent recognizing you you're working within the system right that you know that that ha- that oppresses you right either Intentionally or not intentionally, you you are faced with that oppression, that level of oppression and inequity, but navigating that right and continuing and persisting, so you can get to a space where you can bring other people up. You know what I mean? And we talk about hip hop ed, and I see some comments in the chat. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm a hip hop educator. And I'm not a rapper. <laughs> you know I mean, so I'm not a rapper though. I'm not a rapper though. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the work. And that's just really where where we got to go Hip hop ed is not is not the end all be all, right? But it's really about like how do like what does this look like for other things and other cultures or other you know not even genres of music, yeah. but other things are that, that you know cultures that have not been incorporated or welcomed into school spaces.
3: Yeah. Okay. can I ask a quick question? Yeah. So I'm just curious, like what is that? What does hip hop ed actually mean? Is it like the class that teaches pop lyrics at Harvard, or like what, what, what does that mean for you?
2: I mean, it, it it it's a little bit of everything, right? So like on a very basic level, it looks like just like. We're listening to music in the class, right? Like you're incorporating hip hop, just mm-hmm. like music in the class, on a more yeah. on a more sophisticated level, right? We are analyzing lyrics. Um, we're analyzing Jay Z four 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 lyrics to understand, you know, a, a black male's, you know, perspective as it relates to economics, and we're we're drawing connections between Jay Z his lyrics and tra- traditional economics that you be that you'll be learning anyway, right? but using that as a medium mm-hmm. to get students to be engaged and excited about the content. Right. Um, you're going to teach the, the, okay. you know, the, the whack economics anyway. So you got to find a different way to engage folks and enjoy that connection to show like, yo, you know, this is economics. Gotcha. It's also related to things that you care about and, you know, folks do it in so many different ways. Like I, I, you know, Hamilton is also an example, but that's not, you know, I don't rock with Hamilton like that, but like, there's a lot of folks who do this work. Mm-hmm. One, you know, uh, one of my boys does his work in counseling. Right. So like how do he, he has kids like write, um, rap lyrics to um so 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 educators and counselors can understand like their emotional kind of like what they're what are they going through emotionally, right? Um yeah. it's really about like 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 recognizing hip hop as a culture, not just a genre of music, and incorporate like yeah. understanding that culture and incorporating that into educational spaces however you however you see however we can fit. But like the work is, you know, we still we're still in the beginning phases of it. There's still so much more to do. There's so much more to go. What is
3: it? Millions dollar million, million dollar work. Okay,
2: for nine ninety nine, what is it? A uh, uh-huh. show? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> nine yeah, worth nine ninety nine. Yeah, trying to get these folks uh, to this, this game for free. But, you know, it's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> I, I, I think as you know, for me, as long as we're inching towards the right direction, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy and I'm comfortable. You know, I, I, I think you know, engaging in this work around equity and access, we, we have to come to a. I had to come to a realization that I'm not going to change the world, and my like the world's not going to change in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I, I, or at least not—it's not, not going to be what I would want it to be in my lifetime. But I can at least, you know, contribute, and hopefully, generations after me can can reap those benefits. And I gotta be okay with that.
3: Cool.
5: Yeah, man. And Nalani, thank you for that question, man. Uh, you know, I just want to say, like, from what it says, like, we we have so many uh, inequalities that's happening in the education system from the, from the get go. So, you know, since the 1700s, as Edmund has stated, you know, to, to present day. But one of the things that you know i have noticed even within my own experiences with you know little things like having you know people who look like me in the classroom or you know incorporating some cultural context into the the uh, the, the curriculum right I'm more drawn in I'm more authentic and there's power in that for students It's like all right you know, want us to be you know uh, thrive you want us to thrive in these systems but you know, we have to be authentic. So any way that we can kind of create these spaces, uh, change the, you know, the narrative, you know, on what's possible for students. I think that, you know, that's all, you know, game changing, uh, not only for, you know, the students that you, you connect with now, I'm pretty sure that Nalan and Edmund have people, like you said, like you mentor people, you know, you've got people who kind of latch on to that and kind of, you know, incorporate it within their own work. I could tell Edmund, like, because I know Edmund, now hip hop education is now in my work and I don't even know it. <laughs> and so it's, it's 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 contagious, and you know once you kind of get a sense of that liberation, you want to spread it around. You want to spread it around. But um, I think that
3: I, I, yeah. so, Um, I don't know if Desiree or Jasmine could answer this, but in my field, um, as a teacher and as a student as, as well, there was like a lack. There is a lack of women representation um, in the engineering field. So, like, how like how would you suggest that I handle that? Um, in the classroom and, and and like right now, like there's, there's hardly any women. and and usually if I do like a group project, for example, the woman is o- the woman is always like the secretary or the scribe or something like that, like a traditional woman role, whatever in society. So instead of like being the leader or the, or, or the group leader or something like that.
1: Yeah, um, the simplest way I could I could put it is just psychoeducation let these women know that it's possible for them. And, and I know, although that you're, you're a man, um, just like it's educating them, letting them know that even though you don't see somebody who looks like you are women in this field, doesn't mean that you can't do it. And kind of meeting them with empathy and maybe mm-hmm. finding resources of a woman who is doing the work mm-hmm. and show them that. Does that make sense? Yep, yep, gotcha.
4: Yeah, I totally agree with Dez. You have to have to show them that women can also do exactly what you're doing and try to encourage them in ways that they will understand as being a woman. Like, you know, um, engineering is like a, a of it's mostly a male's field. So, you know, sometimes they can get caught up in just wanting to like keep it that way instead of knowing that they can make a difference within the field. Gotcha. Yeah, and that yeah. they exist.
1: Like, I guess for you and Nilan, it would be like you maybe putting in a little extra step there and, and doing your own research of the women that are in the field and then presenting that information to them.
3: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Thank you.
5: If that's all the questions that we have today. Uh, I just want to thank Edmund and Alon for joining us today. Um, I hope that the people who are lis- who will listening to this, you know, can get an understanding of the inequalities that we have in our education system, but also how they're the impacts of them, right? Like how those are affecting students, whether they're in K to 12 or even college and beyond. Um, and also the people who are administrating these or within operating within the education system as teachers, professors, and administration um, of color and how they can affect change. Um, you know, we identify some great organizations, Hip Hop Ed uh, Program, um, the Education Opportunity Program, and a lot of other different different, uh, vehicles that's been working, um, you know, that's current and also been around for a very long time doing this work. So, um, I just, with that said, I just want to say thank you for listening and you're listening to the Conversations of Color. Thank you.